when you get in there, if you're in a new role and you inherit a new process, like assess what's going on. And before you make any changes, just try and think ahead of like, how is this going to serve me in the future in this team? And how is what I'm proposing going to prepare us for scale? This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman. And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Hi, everyone. We're here with another episode of Reveal, where we are absolutely going to nerd out on sales enablement. On this episode, Danny sits down with Brooke Buschetta, Head of Commercial Learning Design at JLL Technologies, and they dive into where to start in sales enablement, the importance of it, the processes, the learnings, which projects need to be prioritized, and managing expectations. Brooke shares the methodology, the awareness competency master model, and how it can calibrate expectations with your sales team. Sales efficiency is key. I don't think there is a word that is used more today in sales than efficiency. And she shares how to make it easy for sales leaders to reinforce the important must-knows with the team. So I'm going to toss it over to Danny. Enjoy, everyone. Ladies and gents of the Reveal listenership, it's great to see you again. Danny Wasserman here, sadly not joined by my co-host, Karina Owens, who, rightfully so, is out on vacation, but... Not to be worried, because I'm joined by the head of commercial learning design for JLL, Brooke Bachessa, coming to us from one of my favorite states in the continental United States, Washington in particular, coming to us from the Emerald City. Let's hear it for Seattle. Brooke, welcome to Reveal. Ah, oh, thank you so much. I feel like I should like curtsy after or bow or something. After we we don't even know, because for, uh, in this uh, virtual world, do you even have legs? I mean, your upper torso looks great. Yeah. What is the equivalent of a curtsy <laughs> from like above the waistline? Is it a bow? I think, yeah, like a, a, a short bow. Whatever form of bow <laughs> is neutral and respectful to all faiths that doesn't get you canceled. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Well, welcome to Reveal. We're stoked to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, as to someone who's a fellow enabler, I'm very pumped to nerd out on all things enablement and we'll extrapolate how that's relevant to our other listeners who maybe come from sales marketing ops and so forth but wanted to hear obviously you've worn many hats at different organizations in both sales development management carried the bag done some enablement stuff and here you are stepping into the behemoth the 800 pound fierce gorilla that is jll talk to us a little bit about you know having worked at outreach for a number of years and the transition, the paradigm shift, if you will, to a very different business model. What did you inherit? What did you find? And why don't we start there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's very different. So like you mentioned, like I started my career as a BDR, um, mostly on accident, like most people get into sales. First job out of college was a BDR at a company in the Bay Area. I lived in San Mateo, it was good times. Moved back home to Seattle, What did the BDR gig again, moved up to AE, then I managed BDR. So like, I felt very lucky that I was exposed to the world of inside sales, basically, as my, my first real office job. And I really enjoyed it. So when I got to outreach, I was I started there as a, a BDR manager, but I had told my boss like two years into my five-year tenure there, like, hey, I really, I love my job. I'm not quitting on you, but I just want you to know, anytime that we've done a boot camp or I host an all-team training or I talk to customers... I really like that. And I want to go find more of that. So if a job pops up similar to that, I'm just letting you know, I'll probably apply to it. And he was like, okay, cool. Well, there's nothing open now. Thanks for telling me. And we sat on that for 
like a year and a half and then this enablement position popped up and it just it felt like it was like the perfect role for me of like I, I got to do all the things that I loved about people management of coaching people and mentoring folks building programs but candidly the carrying the quota it was eating me up inside so it was like a, a nice way to be adjacent to but not in the carrying the bag role a lot of respect for people who do that so anyways that's how I got into enablement and then when I transitioned here to JLL, I was looking for an opportunity like to continue to hone my enablement skills, but I wanted to try it on a, a bigger stage. And uh, I was looking for like a big company. And so being here in Seattle, the obvious options were like, okay, yeah. you should apply to Amazon or Microsoft, Google now has an office here. So I was looking at those and um, somebody had actually reached out to me from JLLT. I had never heard of JLL, I was ashamed to say. <laughs> They're a commercial real estate firm, if you're not familiar with them. So like, so not outreach sales, yeah. like SaaS tech. But they had just started this division called JLLT, the T stands for Technologies, which is a 3,000 person org and a 100,000 person company that focuses on building and selling prop tech software. So it's basically like their software division. So anyways, it seemed like a cool role. And so when I started here, I think the biggest change for me was learning how to navigate mega company. A 3000 person division is bigger than any entire company yeah. I had ever worked for. <laughs> um, figuring out who's in charge of what, learning the org chart, and then trying to figure out like, you can't copy paste it. Like I used to sell software to the government. Like it's just, it's a different sales cycle. You can't just say like, I'm going to run the same BDR playbook that I did for SAS and it will work for public sector. It just doesn't work. I'm so sorry about my dogs. Same with being in a large company like this, I was able to take aspects of my playbook that I had used before, but it's it's just so different <laughs> in a big org. So that's been a fun challenge for me. It's a very long-winded answer. To no, I would say <laughs> to <laughs> hurl yourself, to catapult into an entirely different pool, both in terms of size and temperature of the water. It's really apples to oranges. And I'm wondering, in spite of that paradigm shift, what are some of the cardinal rules that still apply and hold? And the reason I want to ask that is, when we have listeners who are managing it, their current company part are thinking, hey, I want to make a transition. What can they take with them that are still universally applicable? Yeah, uh, I think the first thing is like over communicating in general. My job is fully remote now. That does not go away. And like the need for it is tenfold the bigger the company you get because you're just not you might not pass people in meetings like you might at a smaller company. So like over communicating and documenting. The other thing is like, Anytime you inherit a process, there's a certain level of just like chaos that is there because however that process was built, like it was built that way for a reason, but unless somebody has the time to take it apart, like oftentimes it's held up with duct tape and popsicle sticks and that's not to throw shade. It's just, you know, we're all doing the best we can. We're moving really quickly. So like when you get in there, if you're in a new role and you inherit a new process, like assess what's going on. And before you make any changes, just try and think ahead of like, how is this going to serve me in the future in this team? And how is what I'm proposing going to prepare us for scale? And by that, I mean, like, it's really easy to get in there and say like, hey, I want to fix this problem. And I have like this really nice white glove service thing that I'm going to provide. Well, Brooke, I have to ask myself, are you going to be able to do that when you get 50 times the request for this in six months? Or if the company changed, like you just have to be thinking, how can I make this run like a machine? Totally. You know what I mean? I mean the enormity of even going from an outreach size company just to 3,000 would be dizzying. And then to think mm -hmm. about the six figures worth of employees that if this goes well, does it have yeah. applicability across the broader JLL? I'm like stunned into being speechless where you even begin to start. 
I also think it's interesting to hear you describe, you know, we've all been in that place where you come in as the newcomer, the outsider, and what is working for better or for worse inherently just feels at first blush to be chaos. And instinctively you say, ah, let's Mm -hmm. clean up this chaos. And one of my bosses (laughs) told me once, when you come into a new organization, come in with soft elbows. It was something that just stuck with me. It's like, oh, that's such a simple yet poignant way to describe. No one wants to have that new hire guns blazing, call everyone's existing baby ugly. And and I think that that's a surefire way to build a lot of, Oh, 100%. Yeah, because there's so much like that you just don't know. And I'm still figuring it out. I'm three, four months into this job, like stuff that I don't know that I don't know. And so, yeah, like being aware of like, it's never what it seems like at face value. There is a good reason that everything has been done in the past. May not be a good reason now, but it was at the time. So peeling the layers back to the onion. Yeah, right. Before you blow up the onion or deep fry it Outback Steakhouse style, let's go blooming onion lovers out there. So before... You provide some culinary technique to the existing onion. How do you even <laughs> prioritize where to start with an enablement? Yeah. You examine that there's chaos. It is of a size and scale that is disorienting. Where do you start? Oh, that is a really good question. I mean, first things first is like just having the conversation with your team and or your department head of like, what is the scope of our area? And that seems like so basic, but like, okay, what do we focus on? We have a couple categories. It's like, if it's related to sales process, sales skills, product training, like if it's related to that, it's in my lane. If it's not, then like be aware of that and know who you got to go ask for help. So like know uh, what the scope is of your team. And then, I mean, it's not an exciting answer, but just work backwards. So like, hey, the executive team said these were their OKRs for the year. If it doesn't serve that, we're just, we don't have time to do it. So like our rallying cry for the sales effectiveness team at JLL or the entire enablement department is uh, we need to make selling easier. So if we're assigned, asked to do a project and we cannot directly say, is this going to make selling easier for the reps? It just has to be deprioritized because you can't do everything. And that's got to be hard as the new girl on the block who comes in, who wants to earn some credibility. You want to score some wins with (laughs) stakeholders who can make your life very easy or very hard if they sense, oh, well, Brooke, she just got here, but she's already dismissing my request. When we use the phrase, hey, let's make sellers' lives easier, that is inherently subjective. And it may feel like a flavor of the week if you ask the commercial leader versus the customer success leader Mm -hmm. versus the enterprise leader. They may all have different answers. So can you talk about diplomatically, how do you manage expectations when your attempts to please everybody are all noble and well-intended, but there is a limit to the time and materials that you have? How do you sort of politically maneuver that challenge? So at Outreach, the woman who ran our department, her name is Whitney Seek. And I've learned so much from her about negotiating as somebody in like a partnership, you could even say it like service oriented role of like, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm here to ensure that as a good partner, you have roadblocks moved, but I'm not actually out there selling. So when it comes to negotiating, like asking really good questions, coming up with a scoping or intake process of some kind so that it's not just no, and it doesn't come yeah, off like, I just totally. don't want to do it. But like, help me understand like what, just like any good sales rep would do on a discovery call. What was the impetus for this request? What does good look like? What are you trying to achieve? What's the timeline that you want this on? So I I think when it comes to prioritizing, like the big rock projects for our team this year is all around like building a framework of requesting process, 
a baseline level of like, hey, we didn't have a schedule of training. Let's put that in place so that now like we have the outline skeleton and that when requests come yeah. in, we know where to fit them in. And when it comes to the negotiating piece, we also use this methodology. This is another Whitney Seek special. <laughs> She's a really smart lady. <laughs> it's the awareness competency Ooh, mastery okay. model. And the idea is that anytime that we launch a training or a program, a program could be like boot camp, like it's ever boarding. It doesn't, it's not a point in time or training is a singular point. We try and fit it into these three categories. So awareness is you're probably going to be your most used. That's like, hey, you come to this training. I'm going to share some information with you. You'll get a follow-up email. But the cognitive load is light enough that like we can get away with an email and a live training and a verbal, like here's your information, maybe practice it. But that's it. Competency is all of that. So live training of some kind, plus resources to visit. Plus, like I want to test that you understand the material. And that could be in the form of taking a learning management system course like a my trailhead or a work ramp of like a multiple choice thing to test do you get it it could be in the form of submitting a mock example maybe i'm testing to make sure that the field is competent in a certain product pitch you should all be able to do it regurgitate what does this product do and then have it graded by manager so that's competency level and mastery is the furthest one out there and that's like all of the things of awareness and competency, but I also want to prove that you're actually doing it in real life. So I need real life examples. So real recordings of a discovery call, real demos of you talking to customers, you handling random one-off objections from all the stakeholders that you might talk to. If you can do that multiple times, you have mastered the topic. And the reason that that whole framework is so important is we all have different expectations and assumptions for when a training is requested. A manager might say, hey, I need my team to be trained on the new contracting process yeah. like who to follow up with in legal and in my mind i might think okay great i'm just going to give them directions and in their mind they're like no i need this to be able i need them to be able to do this on their own because we're in a totally different time zone to be able to like fly solo and figure this out if i'm in australia and they're in the u.s so anyways the reason that that's important we just have to be able to ask your stakeholders and then align on what is the level of training that we are providing so that when i prioritize the training schedule we're aware of the cognitive load that topics might be taking. We can't have, everything cannot be a level 11. Like you just, every month there's a finite amount of brain space. You have to decide what is important for that month. And you may be able to help negotiate with your partners. Like, Hey, you know what? I know this is really urgent for you and you want a mastery level thing. We're a bit far out from that. How about we do an awareness level thing in the immediate term. And then we work towards that later. It's just helpful in having the I conversation. Think it's so helpful to have those three tranches, awareness, competence, mastery, for both camps, I think that that helps calibrate expectations for what it's going to take yeah. on enablements and to bring this to life. But then by extension too, if the tendency historically has always been the field comes to us and says, everyone needs to know this. And to your point, you can't have a jack of all, or I mean, what we have is sort of a jack of all trades and a master of none. Like what has to be that one or two sort of, I'd say pronged approach where you're going to master in this quarter this year. These are the two mastery things, everything else by default, then it has to either be an awareness or a competence. Right. And I think that just creates a better yeah. exchange given that we have enablement professionals and sales leaders and sellers who listen. If everyone was able to sort of lean in and say, Hey, let's, let's check ourselves here. What are we trying to achieve? That's awesome. Really like that. Yeah, and you think about like just the over communication part, like one, you're right. Like I can't, everything can't be mastery because then you're just in training and you're not selling and no CRO is going to be happy <laughs> regardless of how good my training is if their team doesn't have time to sell. 
But when it comes to over communicating, like you align on these things, you say, here's what we're going to do. We actually do these things called manager previews. Two weeks, actually it's next week. So in the middle of this month, I'm going to preview to them. Here's all the topics that we have scheduled for April. We have one competency, a couple awareness. Here's the categories that they fit into. How does that sit with you as a leadership staff? Like, are you okay with the topics that we are focused on? And more often, you know, you want to be at a point where it's like, yeah, we feel good about that. But you, you also want to leave enough time, which is why we have it two weeks before the calendar starts. It's so that if they have a reaction that's like, oof, I don't, that topic is not important to me. And this other one needs to be brought in. And then now you can negotiate instead of just being like, nope, it's already set. Too bad. I'm so just set. thinking about <laughs> all the additional facets of my own life personally, where awareness, competence, and mastery could be applied. Like in my own <laughs> dating attempts, right? Like, hey, like, can we just be on the same page? This is an awareness date. Like, oh, oh, it's your yeah, birthday. Oh, okay, that's a mastery caliber date. Got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> it would simplify things so much. Anyways, let's talk about then between awareness, competence, and mastery. How does that then trickle down into both reinforcement and accountability? So if you're doing an awareness level training, is there reinforcement? How do you measure the success of that? Because the investment from both sides is so different comparatively to mastery. How do you determine once the designation and consensus has been achieved, what is then the fast follow or the ongoing follow look like? Yeah, for sure. Um, you're right. Enablement is a team sport. And if there's no reinforcement or accountability, like why even bother? Because we, we will all just forget whatever got talked about. So one of our core tenants is like, what gets talked about will get remembered and measured. So if I do a training, but I never check in with the leaders, or we never talk about that topic again, you find yourself on crazy pills where you're like, I swear to God, we just did a training on this product. And two weeks later, I'm getting requests from the field being like, I don't understand how to sell this. Can we do another one? And you're like, Oh, my God, I just did this. <laughs> so to make sure that it's constantly top of mind, first thing you can do is just make sure there's a through line with your training. So like we just launched or today's Wednesday. So yesterday on Tuesday, we did a methodology um, training on MedPick. So that was setting the state like the ground for here. We're going to talk about this methodology the rest of the year. In a product training, you betcha, you better believe that like MedPick is going to be in the product training. And then every month thereafter, we will find some way to shoehorn how does this apply to the methodology. So that's the first thing is just talk about yeah. the things that are important all the time, connect the dots. And then when it comes to reinforcing with managers, for awareness level things, it could just be as simple as like, here's the follow-up email and we follow a, a basic cadence so that well, essentially what I'm trying to do is train the sales team that like, I know that if I go to a thing on Wednesday and I forgot or on Tuesday and I forgot what happened on Wednesday, I will receive an email with all the resources and links. So if I'm on vacation, I just sort my inbox and look for things, with the same title and subject line. So it's easy to find things. And for managers, we include things like, here's the attendance list. Just check. Did your team come <laughs> to the training? If they didn't, maybe you want to have a conversation with them. We'll provide them these things called manager toolkits. Definitely for competency, sometimes on the awareness level topics, if it's kind of a an in-betweener or like needs a lot of focus, that just feeds them questions to ask. Of like, hey, if you're in a one-on-one, -on -one, here's things that you can ask your rep. Danny, did you go to the training? What did you think of it? How can you use this in your real life? How is this different than what you were doing before? Can you show me the page that you were supposed to look, you know, like things that you would ask one-on-one. -on -one. And then in a group setting, it might be like, hey, you all came up with discovery questions. I'd like to hear some of what you had. Or um, 
I'm going to pull up this report. So-and-so, can you take a look at this? And like, what are you seeing here uh, that we can discuss as a crew? I just love this idea of manager toolkits. The way Brooke and her team are approaching sales training is by giving their busy managers and reps for actual repeatable plays to reference time and time again. Because of a recent study from G2, it proves that what's at stake here is that 26% of sales reps say that their sales training is ineffective. Yikes, that's gotta hurt. But by providing alternative options like these toolkits and playbooks, sales enablement teams can keep the value coming long after that training session is through. All right, let's go hear what else Brooke has to say about this process. And the reason we provide these questions is because as somebody who would previously lived the sales manager life, I know how crazy it is. Like you're just sprinting all day, every day, back to back, and you don't have a lot of time to prep yeah. for these things. So basically we just, in a sales effectiveness, want to make it easy for the sales leaders to do us the favor of reinforcing things by saying like, I know that you haven't had a bathroom break and you probably haven't had lunch and it's three in the afternoon. All you have to do is open up this page and read the questions and now you're running your whole meeting and everybody will be talking about the same thing. So it's really just like you're orchestrating usable playbooks. Having lived the life of both an IC as well as then a BDR SDR manager, you can appreciate what it means to day in, day out, be malnourished and also having <laughs> not had a single and a break mean that you've probably soiled yourself a few times over by the time the reinforcement <laughs> comes in. As a fellow enabler, I think that it is one thing to launch something new, like bringing something to life. There's a big splash. The novelty of it is fresh. But what has to be the least sexy part of enablement job is exactly this, the reinforcement. And I'm wondering as people say, I am being ripped in a thousand different directions. I appreciate the new novel thing that you showed me. I'll put it to use, but get out of my way. Get this monkey off my back. Why are you chasing me into a corner to have me reinforce this? How do you package or help justify both to leaders and sellers the importance of reinforcement mm-hmm. when inherently it is so unappealing? It doesn't possess that sex appeal that, I don't know, a big launch has. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, you you just have to outline the what's in it for me of like, hey, like the what's in it for you sales leader is like if your team understands this process, the hope is that you spend an hour less of your life every week answering questions that they can now Mm -hmm. find on their own. Or if they're better at selling this product, more pipeline means more closed deals, more money is more better. We all like that. And the other part of this reinforcement thing is a sustained aspect. So that goes into the, uh, the intake request or when we do our scoping calls. If we're... We get to the point where we say, yes, this is in our wheelhouse. We're going to do it. When we actually go to design the training, we can't just stop at the launch. We do have to think through, okay, we're going to launch this on a Tuesday power hour training. The reinforcement is going to be, it's going to get talked about. The executive team is going to remind people to check. We're going to have a report. But then sustaining, how are we going to make sure that all the new hires learn this? We don't have to do this again in seven months. So building it into boot camp, maybe there's some automated things that we can build. Figuring out like where does it sit in the long-term roadmap? Because again, you don't want to be repeating yourselves and then to get the buy-in that's another like why we do these manager previews because oftentimes we'll just say like point blank hey we're going to do this competency level training on this product because there's a lot of requests from the field so hey we want to be good partners we're, we're going to build you this kick-ass training the ask from you though is like can you commit to an hour of your week checking in with each of your reps asking these questions you may have to like look at a report you may have to grade something that they submit and then I will just try and be as blunt as possible of like, Danny, can you, yeah or nay, can you do this or not? Because if you can't do this, we have to find another solution. Um, and that's why we do yeah. those previews. Because sometimes they'll be like, you know what? I really want to, but 
it's the end of the quarter. If I'm being honest, I have 15 interviews this week. It's just not going to happen. And then we can come up with something else so that it's not like I'm chasing you, but like we've reached a mutual yeah. agreement of how are we people and accountable. And <laughs> obviously the cat herding, the chasing for accountability isn't fun for anybody. I'm wondering when you're thinking – even before you ship the program, you're architecting it in a way that it dovetails to be an institutionalized and boot camp and so forth. Where do the role of KPIs and tracking fit into mm-hmm. how you architect these programs as well? Because I would think that in the justification, here's why I'm asking you to reinforce this. If you can say, hey, we've proven that this message or we've proven that this training, whatever it may be that the initiative is that you've conceived of, it materially moves. Is it conversion rates, sales cycles, ASPs? Talk to us about how you think about that before you ship anything. Yeah. The tricky thing with enablement is like, sometimes it can be really, you can correlate, but it can be really hard to prove the causation of like, just because I did this training, can I really say that enablement made all these people like double their, like, I I don't know if I can, because, and the problem is because there's so much time that passes between a training and a deal cycle happening. So it depends on the program. We use this thing called Kirkpatrick model, which is, how do I know that the stickiness training? Number one is like, I can, con- there's four levels. Control for the learner's reaction. That's easy to do. Like I can just tell the managers, hey, managers, can you tell your reps that like, this is important. They need to be there and then ask them about it afterwards. And so now I'm like setting the stage. Like this is important yeah. enough to talk about. Okay, I'll go like, maybe not be prospecting while I'm on this meeting. <laughs> the second one is behavior. Now I'm making sure that I got these in the right order. <laughs> behavior. Oh no, it's learning. So now I can check, do they actually understand it? So I might give them a, a quiz or like call on people in the training. Does this make sense? How could you use this? And then there's behavior. Managers have to give us feedback of like, is this actually working? And then the last one is results. So what outcome did we draw for the business? And that one, it is tricky because it's different for every project. It could be if I'm training the BDRs on how to make, do improve their workflow, I should see, hey, we want to uptick in dials and connection rates. That's yeah. an easy one to pick. If it's a training on a product, I don't know if I can, we can say, hey, later on in the year, let's track closed deals after this training. But realistically, what we're looking at is like how much pipeline are, are we booking more meetings? Are people talking about it more? If you're using a gong or an outreach or a course or something, you can set up uh, notifications. Say anytime this thing is mentioned, like we used to do that at outreach, if they were, if the reps were um, trained on hyping up like a customer event. How many times did the word outreach explore get mentioned? And if it's not a lot, that's a good indicator that your training wasn't working. And if it is, that's like helping you to set the stage. So anyways, I'm giving you a lot of rambly answers, but basically you start with the end in mind of yeah. what am I trying to impact? Figure out what does good look like before I launch well, the training. I would say fabulous to think about the end in sight and then working back from there before we get too far down the road. We're like, how did we even get here? What's our North Star? Yeah. And if you don't align on the um, what does good look like, especially with like your executive team and if the product, if the project, excuse me, is a long term thing, meaning like a month or longer, it's so easy to get lost in the sauce and be like, we've been talking about this thing forever. What the hell have we done? Like, I don't even know. So if you don't have those checkpoints to be like, I know it feels like we're moving slowly, but we said that we'd be happy if we moved this up by half a percent and we're at point four, like we're actually on track. Things yeah, are going well. <laughs> Well, two more questions. And then certainly, I think we have exhausted all of your you know, generosity in democratizing your wisdom, Brooke. Where is JLLT today? And if we're working mm-hmm. with the end in mind, December 31st, if you're on traditional fiscal, where do you want to be on December 31st? Hopefully popping bottles of bubbles, but 
beyond that, what else does that look like? Like in, as it relates to Correct. our training exactly. programs. Yeah, I think like right, like we are definitely in a building stage. Like there's 10 people on our sales effectiveness team working on all kinds of things for, around product launches or everboarding or these power hours and certifications. I think where we're at now is like we're in stage one of a five-ish stage like maturity model. Like we're in very ad hoc mode and that's okay. Like we, we just organize things and get into a spot where like it didn't feel like everything was on fire. By the end of the year, I think we'd like to be at like a repeatable stage where like we've put things in place and the machine is starting yeah. to run. So like the Tuesday trainings are well attended. People know what to expect and like they're going. Onboarding doesn't happen onesie twosie. Like there's a format. We know that when somebody starts, they're going to get a certain service level of uh, content. When a product launches, we have directions to follow. I think that would be phenomenal. And then, you know, there's always room for improvement to... I don't know, but make better processes. But I think it, it's just in like yeah. an organization and getting the, the machine running. Well, I awesome. eagerly look forward to in approximately nine months checking yeah. in as we're both, you know, uncorking our bottles of bubbles or whatever you choose to celebrate the new year with and hearing that the machine is fabricated and now we're just making micro tweaks yeah. to its performance. Totally. Well, the final question before we let you go, it's the question that we, if you are a listener of Reveal, you know this is coming, but we ask it to every single one of our guests. Brooke, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? Oh boy. Sales in just one word. Crazy, but a good crazy. <laughs> like it's like it's you're always surprised. You can put things in place. Like it's fast paced, but that's like the fun of it. And so I think that's why, like, even though I was not the person to continue carrying the bag, I still wanted to be like in the squad and like near it because it's just so fun. So maybe fun's a better word to say it, but crazy as well. Oh, I think you just got to listen to that, you know, first reaction. It never steers you wrong. Crazy. And then some sort of like disclaimer, parenthetical, the good crazy. <laughs> Yes. Also probably good for someone's <laughs> epitaph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Brooke, so appreciate you coming on to reveal and talking a little bit about your journey to JLLT and the things that you've brought with you from Whitney and outreach and certainly the things that you're learning as you go to a much larger enterprise. Again, ladies and gentlemen, really just so enjoy sharing this time with Brooke Bachesta, the head of commercial learning at JLL Technologies. We will see you next time. Brooke, thanks again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, go ahead and head on over to gong.io. If you like what you heard, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.